Welcome to Purifying Truths with A Star. Today I have with us Nathaniel Carroll. For those of you who don't know Nathaniel, he has over 20 years experience in social work, specializing in trauma treatment. He is an endurance athlete and a domestic violence counselor. He has survived domestic violence himself. Welcome, Nathaniel, to Purifying Truths. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We are in for a treat today. As we have spoken in the past, I know that you have so much that you are doing in your world as you are illuminating. Tell us, please, what motivated you to get started? In competitions, as I believe it stands right now, you hold the record for the most push-ups in 365 days? I do. Yeah, I just uh, passed the record on June 6th of this year, and uh, the final tally was 1,506,911 push-ups. So what inspired me and what motivated me, you asked, and it's it's about... Mm -hmm making an impact on those that serve our community and my children and being a role model for other people who have been in tough situations and found a way out and as a result persevered and chased their dreams. Indeed, you are chasing your dreams and your story just screams perseverance. Please tell us about your perspective on parenting and how that plays a role in your competitions. Well, it plays a big role. I think as parents, it's one of the most important roles or jobs that an individual has who is blessed to be a parent. And for me, it's been about setting the example and validating their experiences and nurturing them to the best of my ability, um, all of which I didn't experience myself growing up. So I've always, I've had a strong kind of urge to be a parent like um, that I didn't have growing up. Mm -hmm. So instead of turning that inward and becoming just like and creating what you went through, you decided to break that mold and creating what you wanted to happen. And now your children have a different aspect. Would you like to expound a little bit on that and how hard or easy it was for you? Sure. I mean, it was, it's an ever evolving process. I don't think anybody ever, you know, achieves the perfect parenting platform. Mm -hmm. So it's a work in progress. And for me, it was a lot of anger, resentment, felt feelings of abandonment, resentment growing up and into my young adulthood. And, you know, it's, it carries on through. You still carry some of that with you. And I think the, the key for me has been the awareness of what was my fault or my responsibility or in, and what wasn't. And I think as a kid... I took on a lot more responsibility of my parents' decisions than what was truly my responsibility. So now as an adult, taking that uh, into consideration and really looking at you know their roles as, as individuals and people aside from my parents, 
kind of helped me separate that and uh, kind of relieve me of some of the kind of the feelings that I had growing up and in my into my young adulthood. But they certainly carry. I mean, they're certainly still there. You just have to kind of manage them and uh, address them when they come up, and maybe they're a little more when they're a little more intense. Understood. You know, it's so important that we take that moment, you know, to step back and just assess the situation. Not every burden is ours to bear. You know, everything isn't our fault. And just to divvy out what are we responsible for and what are we not. Sometimes we're carrying things that we're not supposed to carry. And I love that you didn't pass that burden on to the next generation through your children. So hopefully they keep that up and then they even improve and the next generation improves. And that's how we get better as a whole. Now let's switch and talk a little bit about setting goals and holding yourself accountable because I know you didn't just wake up one day and was able to achieve these goals and meet these um and exceed <laughs> these push-up goals and beat all of these records, how did you hold yourself accountable, meet the goals, and then crush the goals? Well, simply put, it, it is you take the big goals and you reduce them down to very small, manageable behaviors and routines. And for me, like you said, yeah, you don't wake up one day and decide I'm going to do 4,000 push-ups a day. It's a, it's a cumulative effort and it's a, it's a progression. Um, so physical fitness has been something that I have, you know, participated in and been a kind of, it's been who I am for many years. So it's an accumulative of, of that. But, you know, in short, to answer your question, it, it has to be who you are, not something you do because, Oftentimes with challenges like this or other obstacles in life, I mean, when there's always convenient excuses or attractive, uh, you know, outs to, to not do something. But when you make something who you are, it, it gives you the, the grit and the ability to endure tough times. In addition to, you know, that, it's just the awareness of the, the whole. I mean, when we set goals like this, there's going to be setbacks, there's going to be challenges, and we have to prepare for them. We have to plan for them to the best that we can so that we can be you know, in a better position to navigate through them. So a challenge such as this, I went through and I, I thought of every excuse and every obstacle that I could possibly think, think of so that when that did occur, I was prepared. And it helped me when there were such as life, when life happens, the things that we can't anticipate, I was able to devote, devote more attention to that and be better able to navigate through that because I've dealt with all the things that I anticipated as being challenges and setbacks. Amazing. You know, on the physical aspect, yes, you have broken records. And so I take that because I am not athletic. But I apply that same principle to my daily life. We all have goals. And if you can just take that big goal and break it down into small pieces and then be persistent in, you know, obtaining those, 
When you talk about navigating and preparation for setbacks, can you please explain some things that you did? Because it seems as though many times we get blindsided and then we give up, but you didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I've had, I've had the, 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 the privilege of, of age and wisdom and many mm-hmm. failures and setbacks and many, many times where I was hesitant because I was afraid. I felt I wasn't good enough. I was um, maybe scared and I didn't believe in myself to the, to the degree that maybe I do now. So I had a, I had a whole roadmap of setbacks and challenges that I could pull from. And for me, what it, what really, I think kind of set things in motion for me this last time was just the awareness of time. And I, I really thought about, you know, time in, in the, in the concept of a, of a lifespan. And so, you know, like today I'm, I'm 46 years old. And so the time that I have remaining is, is limited probably. And it's probably less than the time that I've lived. And so I really started focusing on this kind of notion of time and in that we can either spend our time, we can invest our time, or we can waste our time. And for me, the awareness of my age, what it is that I wanted to accomplish, and all the experiences that I've had leading up to it really gave me the confidence to say, I'm going to pursue it without the fear of failure. And I would rather be, I would rather face failure than one day look back and wonder if I could have done something. So it really, I think the notion of time gave me the, the, the traction to push through some of the, the hesitancy and maybe the otherwise I would have not pursued things. I definitely understand that. We are on the same page there. I, too, am 46 years old, and I look at things differently than I did when I was in my 20s. Um, I love the way that you broke it down and explained that we have X amount of minutes, X amount of days, however you'd like to look at it. And we choose, whether we're 20 or 50 or 80, how we're going to spend it, invest it, or waste it. And I love the way that as your background is of social work and that you are helping those that are have been traumatized with your social work, that you still find time to persevere and do something such as this. And you make it part of your personal life and you're even inspiring, I'm sure, not just your children, but those around you. Tell me a little bit about how you take these ideas and you use it in your social work. So the way I use it, the, so so for me, I've I grew up in a divorced home. My mother was struggled with alcohol, and my dad was present in my life, raised me, emotionally invalidating. Um, so I grew up angry, pissed off, and kind of feelings of emptiness. I never struggled with. Um, alcohol or drugs. I didn't have any, I never engaged in criminal activity. And um, so for me, I see a challenge like the 1.5 million push-ups, and I use that in, I guess, this fashion. So I, the people I work with, they have trauma, they have alcohol, 
they have re-entry concerns. And so I try to so trying to fathom doing 4,000 push-ups a day for 365 days is next to impossible for most people to conceptualize. And but I take the same kind of perception to imagine being someone who is using drugs and alcohol and trying to get clean. Like mm. the same the same fears and doubts and like, this is it possible? is probably very similar for somebody trying to imagine a life of being clean or going from being incarcerated for a number of years to figuring out how do I live a life of integrity and so that I don't end up back in prison. So like the challenges that they face of being incarcerated in, in, in their use of substances is, is different than doing 1.5 million pushups, but it, there's similarities in the template between like, well, how do I approach these big things that seem impossible or that maybe everybody around me says is impossible. And so we, you know, we talked briefly about it in the, in the intro, we, we break it down into small manageable behaviors. We integrate them into every facet of our life. And we, the big picture is sobriety or living a life of integrity or doing 1.5 million pushups. But what does that look like with my next choice? And so we talk about the ability to focus on what is it that I can control, what's within my control, and what is outside of my control. And really, for the push-ups or sobriety or re-entry, if I focus on controlling the controllables, that's the best I can do. And the stuff that's outside of my control, will I'll have to navigate that, but I can't spend the, the, the bulk of my energy on those aspects because – I'll never achieve the 1.5 million push-ups, and those people that are incarcerated or trying to live a life of sobriety will likely end up back in jail and using substances. Absolutely. Your advice is profound, and I just wanted you to clarify and make it very clear how it's not just about push-ups. It works in every realm or facet of life. Um, this whole challenge... The push-ups obviously is a very special number, and it has, I guess, personal meaning to me. But it's this entire adventure, challenge, what call it what you will, it's nothing to do with me. This is for other people. This is for my children. This is to use as a way to connect with other people. This was to support the families of our fallen first responders. So there's nothing selfish about any of this entire challenge and the things that I've done leading up to it and the things that I do moving forward, if God gives me the, you know, the ability to, to have enough time. Absolutely. You are definitely an inspiration and I love how you tie the two together. And certainly what you're doing is anything but selfish. Um, so as we continue on, uh, you talked a little bit about how you grew up. And you talked a little bit about how you put a spin on and took the negative, turned it around and put a positive spin on um, your parenting style with your children. Please give us your perspective on parenting. My perspective on parenting is a lot of role modeling and there's nothing, I mean, I guess when you, when, you know, people ask me about my parenting and, and I, I sometimes I, you know, I, I, I don't hesitate to answer, but I think to myself like, well, 
I'm just like you. I'm just like everybody else. I mean, there's no, there's no book on parenting and there's no special kind of like, you know, way to do it that guarantees success. Mm -hmm. So I think the way I answer that, the way I approach parenting is, is validation, role modeling, and being present. And, and I say that because I know growing up not being validated impacted me in negative ways. I know growing up having my, my mother not present, you know, impacted me in negative ways. And so I, I think that the opposite is true when, when you have those things and you, you're present, you're validating, and you role model I guess, positive things, you know, or, or at least you're willing to, you're doing the best, you know, that you think is right. I mean, things, you know, obviously mistakes are made and that's part of life. But if you're, if your role modeling is about, you know, if you're in, I guess I would say if your intentions are pure and your intentions are to do good, even if you fail, it's still a success. I guess I could say that. So, so having not experienced those things and knowing what it, it produced in me, I think, as I said, the opposite happens when a young child grows up in a, a validating um, household with a parent who's present and role models with, um, you know, good intention. Absolutely. And, you know, um, especially this generation they are well aware of intent. They are well aware of what we mean. You know, it's not what we think that we mean or we're showing. They see through that. So definitely the validation, the being present, I totally agree with you because they're not as naive as we were growing up. They know a little bit more a lot sooner. Sure, I think they do. And and for me, it's... So like... I, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, like I'm by, and again, I always like, I always take a step back when asked that question about parenting, because I, I don't, I'm, I'm just, like I say, I'm just like you, I, you know, we do the best we can. We, we make mistakes and, you know, we, there's no, you know, my kids get pissed off at me, just like your kids get pissed off at you. It, you know, it isn't to suggest that, you know, what I'm doing is, you know, the, the recipe for success per se, um, but I do think, like you said, the kids are more aware and kids are more in, in tune with kind of what people say and what people do. And I think that's the part where, you know, we talk about I talked a little bit about integrity, you know, like doing what doing right, even when people aren't looking. And so, like, for me, um, I've had a lot of, I guess, opportunity to be more public. I mean, so I've, I've done many interviews, I've done many podcasts and I, and I talk about my story. And so like my kids, you know, when you speak about integrity, like, you know, it'd be one thing if what I was saying was a bunch of BS and be, they would see it because they live with me and they know that mm -hmm. these are the things dad's saying on, you know, his news interviews, but this is what he's really like at home. And so like, for me, it's, it's, it's about that integrity and, and they are, heightened aware their their heightened awareness of of you know bs or what the truth is indeed i agree with you absolutely now nathaniel what is one 
key message that you would like the audience to take from this broadcast? If they could only remember one thing about you, what message would you like them to remember? I would like them to remember this. So one thing we didn't talk about was the relationship that I was in that was very toxic and very impactful in a negative way in my life. It was my it was my second marriage and it went south shortly after we were married and it remained toxic for a number of years until I was able to get out of it. And one of the messages that I, I say to people is that I might be able to average 4,000 push-ups in the day, but if I don't take care of my vulnerabilities, I'm the weakest person in the room. So when I talk about being like an endurance athlete and a survivor of domestic abuse, it's because I want to, to kind of challenge the notion of who might find themselves in a situation where they're vulnerable their vulnerabilities put them in uh, a dangerous position or a dysfunctional position because I was in that position and that was not too long ago that was you know about four years ago now mm -hmm. so the message I, I want to say is that it doesn't matter if you're a male it doesn't matter if you can do 4,000 push-ups it doesn't matter if you're physically stronger than somebody else if you don't take care of those vulnerabilities, you put yourself in a position of disadvantage. And if you find yourself in a relationship with somebody who has their own mental health problems or control problems, you will find yourself as being in a, a weakened position. And that's exactly where I found myself in. I was reduced to not recognizing myself in the mirror. And mm. I think coupled with my my upbringing and having my mother not present in my life that really impacted me in a negative way it really impacted my children in a negative way and i got out of that situation i had a conversation with my boss that if you know if if i end up dead it's not because i'm of poor health or suicidal and uh, th that was like the moment that really turned for me. And I ultimately, my children and I got out of that situation. And from there, I made the choice to rebuild my life. And as a result, this is the path that I have chosen. And it's really to, to speak to people who are in situations where they feel helpless and hopeless and provide them with a little bit of traction that you can get out of it, you can survive and you can persevere it takes work it takes effort and it takes a lot of awareness and accountability but it is possible and you know in secondarily like i mentioned just before that just to kind of expand the notion of who you might think find could could possibly be in a situation where they could become a victim of domestic violence because mm -hmm. it, it can happen to you and it can happen to me and it could happen again if i don't take care of those vulnerabilities that I have. Absolutely. You know, our vulnerabilities do make us weak. And usually those that are closest to us know exactly what the vulnerabilities are. So I do thank you for sharing um, a bit about your experience with domestic violence. Um, also, I noted that you mentioned that 
earlier during the podcast that our time is limited. And so I think on top of that, what I'm going to take from this is that not to hold back, you know, because of fear or other people's perceptions or even our own, you know, thoughts or criticisms that we think others may think, but just to do it. Um, that's what I get out of your story. Tell me, please, what's next for you, Nate? I'm going to continue to be a role model for my children. I look mm-hmm. for opportunities to make an impact on people and continue to pursue my my passion of uh, endurance sports and challenges. And um, about the no- you, so you talked about the notion of um, our time is limited and to to not be afraid. So part of my thinking is what what drives me is something called what I would call my legacy. And and when we talk about time, you know, we can we can spend it, we can waste it, we can invest it. But I also think about like what's going to be remembered long after my final day? And what's going to be the legacy of of Nate? What's going to be the legacy of you? And I would ask your listeners to kind of think about that. Because when we start thinking about what it is we want to accomplish, who do we want to impact? you know, what is our legacy? I think that also, it really, it helps kind of drown out some of those negative thoughts that maybe we have about other people's opinions about what it is that we see for our lives or our family's lives and what it is that we want to see for ourselves. And uh, for me, like this challenge, the 1.5 million push-ups, was really a template for my children. And it was, and it was for this. I mean, so that when they are, 20 or 25 or 46 like us that they're thinking about their life they're thinking about what it is they want to accomplish maybe they're thinking about a new career and i want them throughout this whole process we talked all the time we talked about what it meant to get up at 345 every day and do what i do the push-ups even when i didn't want to even when i was sore even when i was mentally fatigued and you know, I'd rather be doing something else or laying on the couch, but we, you know, you work through it. So throughout the entire year, we talked about those, you know, those experiences and it was about leaving a legacy with them. So that one day, like I said, when they're 25 or 46 or whatever, and they're out chasing their dreams, they're going to have hesitation. They're going to have self-doubt. They're going to be surrounded by people who say, you know what? I don't know if you can do that. That's probably impossible. That's not good enough. And I want them to have the ability to reflect back on this time and say, you know what? If my old man can get up and do 4,000 push-ups every day and do what he did and teach us the lessons that he taught us, I think I can get up and go shoot those free throws. I can get up and study for those tests, or I can get up and face that next challenge pursuing my dreams. And so and I want that to be because, like I said, our time is limited. I'm 46 years old. You know, I could drop dead next week. And if I did, I'm confident that this experience will live in their hearts and their minds as they pursue their passions. And I think that they will have an impact on the people that they meet in their lives as a result of this experience. So that's legacy. Absolutely. Nate, I am with you totally on board about making memories and legacy. That is why I breathe. That is why I wake up every morning is to create memories with my children and 
create a legacy for after I'm gone. God knows, I hope that neither of us drop dead, you know, tonight or within the next few years. But, you know, we have that left behind so that, you know, grandchildren, great grandchildren will have that inspiration and motivation. So once again, tell us what's next for you. So what's next for me? There's a couple of things. So um, I'm done doing push-ups, so that's good. So I, I think I've done enough push-ups in my lifetime for a, you know a room full of people. So we should be good on that. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at doing the Fox Cities Marathon here in Wisconsin. It's September 19th. Um, 26.2 miles is the marathon. I'm going to do it in reverse, and then I'm going to do it forward. So I'm going to do a total of 52.4 miles. And I thought that that's going to be challenging. That's going to be hard, but I'm going to make it a little bit more challenging and I'm going to do it carrying a hundred pound pack. So it should be a good 24 hours of misery that uh, will be uh, well embraced. So that's my next challenge. And then I'm looking at doing the New York city marathon, 26.2 miles and carrying that pack and hopefully raising some money for the foundation that uh, I supported this past year. So that's kind of the tentative plan. Amazing. And that's what I wanted to touch on. You are breaking these records and you're doing these things, but you're not doing it for, as we say, clout. You are actually raising money. Who are you raising money for? So I'm raising money for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. It's a foundation mm -hmm. out of New York, and it came about after 9-11. Steve Stiller was a New York City firefighter. Those planes hit those towers on 9-11, and he was off that day. He was going to play golf with his brothers, got the call that all hands on deck, and uh, he was in his station was in Brooklyn, and uh, so he went back to the station, got his gear, and they tried to get to the towers, but they couldn't get there because the the uh, Brooklyn tunnel was, uh, was jam-packed with cars, so they couldn't get through. And so he strapped his gear on. And he ran to the towers and got to the towers, helped some people get out and get to safety and continued to go back inside and ultimately gave his life when those towers collapsed. So his mm -hmm. family started the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. And what they do is if a first responder gets killed in the line of duty and they leave behind a family with young children, that foundation comes in, pays off that mortgage so that family can stay in the house and preserve those memories with their mom or dad that they lost who was serving their community. And they also do the same thing for Gold Star families. So if, uh, if a service member goes off to war, gets killed in a line of duty, and they leave behind a family with young children, they do the exact same thing. They pay off that mortgage so that family can stay in there. They also build smart homes and refurbish homes for catastrophically injured vets. And then they pay off that mortgage so that vet can live a more independent life. And uh, so it's a foundation that's 20 years in the making. Their goal is to pay off 200 mortgages uh, this year. And uh, so I, uh, I raised, I, I did all the push-ups to raise money for that foundation. And to, just to illustrate that it really wasn't about the push-ups. So on June 6th, I passed the record at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. And uh, with a set of 20 push-ups that I broke into 9 and 11 in honor of the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and 9-11, the two sets. And uh, so the, uh, the final push-up, the 11th push-up, put me over the, the mark, which was 
that had stood for 32 years, I think, maybe 33 years, at 1,500,230. And so I did my 231st push-up out there. So I get down, I get done, and I go off to the sideline, and there's a, a guy that wanted to interview me on the Jumbotron. And he says, but you got to wait. We got, you know, we got a couple other things to do. So we're all sitting around or whatever, and people are saying thanks or whatever. And then that kind of, that kind of stepped aside. And then I went off in the corner and I was doing more push-ups. And this guy says to me, he's like, you just passed the record. What are you, what are you doing more push-ups for? And I said, because this isn't about push-ups. It's about raising money for this foundation. And so I continued to do push-ups up until June 13th, uh, when the 365th day was over because really this whole challenge, it wasn't about push-ups. It was about supporting those families, those fallen first responders. So that's really what it's about. And what I do, it, it isn't about me. It's, it's about trying to serve my community, serve my country, and be a role model for my children. That is amazing. Phenomenal work. You have tied it all together, tied up all the loose ends. People, I want you to know that Nate is doing his work to leave a legacy make memories, and he's supporting those in his community. He illuminates the world. Tell us, please, how can the audience connect with you? Well, there's two ways. I, I, what I would say, if, if anybody finds this story interesting, it's, you, you can do a number of things. But I, I would say hug your kids, be a role model to your kids today. Look for opportunities to serve in your community. Take a minute and look at the first responders, the police officers, the firefighters, the EMTs that are willing to put themselves in between us and danger and just say thank you. Um, people say like, well, how can I help? And I say, you know, you don't have to do 1.5 million push-ups. You don't have to do five push-ups. Just be aware of the impact that they make and acknowledge it. Say thank you. You know, and whether that's first responder or the person at the grocery store, or somebody at the post office, whatever it is, be aware of the people in your community that impact your life. The people that pick up, I got my trash picked up today. You know, I go out there, I wave to the garbage man and say, hey, thanks, man. You know, because if he's not doing his job, guess what's piling up in my garage? So just be aware of the people in your community and acknowledge it. And I would encourage people to check out tunneltotowers.org and learn about their programs, their fallen first responder home program, their catastrophically injured vets, and their Gold Star family program. And in fact, I'll, I'll mention it, they just announced three weeks ago that they have a new program now, and they're going to be paying off the mortgages of first fallen first responders who are died or have died due to 9-11 related illnesses. So a lot of those first responders in the moments those towers collapsed, they're digging around in rubble trying to get people out or reconnect people with possessions and do everything that they did. And they spent months down in that, that rubble. And as a result, many of them now have developed lung problems and lung cancer and are sadly dying as a result of the hours and days and weeks and months spent digging in that rubble and nine, on ground zero to try to reunite families with maybe some possessions or memories or whatever it was that they could do. Um, they sat there and did that. So I would just encourage people to check out that foundation and it's tunnel to towers.org. 
And for me, if you're interested in what I do or my crazy activities, um, I post primarily on in Instagram, and and I'll provide you a link to that people could, you know, click on to to check that out. So, but again, it's it's not about me. It's just about being making an impact on my community. And and for anybody who's listening, the people that impact your life, just say thank you and be aware of the impact that they have. And that's really that would mean far more to me than somebody following me on social media. I'd much rather have you say thank you to that garbage man than follow me. But you're welcome to follow me as well if you'd like. You're so humble. I do respect that. If you will, please give us your Instagram handle. So it's Nathaniel period Lewis period Carol. Fabulous. And there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us on Purifying Truths. It has been a pleasure. You have enlightened us, inspired us, and I cannot wait for your next challenge. I am curious to see how you're going to exceed it because I know you're going to do more than just meet it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I just, uh, I, I'm so thankful for the opportunity just to, to share this with your listeners and hopefully encourage them to do good in their communities and their families. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to Purifying Truths with A-Star. Tune in every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. for exciting new guests who illuminate the world in the various facets of life. Connect with A-Star on Facebook and Instagram at Facets of a Star, S-T-A-R-R. Webpage, www.facetsofastar. Shine bright.